Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com. I Work, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning into I Work For Him today. Whether you're listening to us live in Tampa on Faith Talk AM 570 or 910, or maybe a little later on on 1380 The Biz, or maybe you're listening on Red Nation Rising, iHeartRadio, Let'sTalkFaith.com, iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, however you hear the show today. Just know that we prayed for you. We prayed that something we say today will cause you to dig deeper into your faith, into connecting what you heard yesterday in the sermon with what you are doing today in your job, what you're doing in your nine to five, whatever that nine to five may be. Today's been an interesting show for you. Back in 1983, the police wrote a song called I'll Be Watching You. And back in 1949, George Orwell wrote the book 1984, where everyone is being watched by Big Brother. The real truth is people are watching everything you do. As the police said in their song, every breath you take and every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, every word you say, every game you play, every vow you break, every smile you fake. The question is, why are they watching you? The answer is, you're always being watched and you're always being interviewed. Our guest today is the founder of Bitwise Solutions and the founder of Apprentice University, Ron Brumbarger. Ron Brumbarger, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate being on your show. Well, I'm excited. I loved your book. I loved the premise of your book. I loved the idea behind what you are communicating in your book called You're Always Being Interviewed. So few of us really take into consideration that people are watching us all over the place. You know, even for, even Peter. When he wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, as if someone asks, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. People are watching us. People really want to know what's going on in our lives. And you wrote this book, and it's about being interviewed and being ready for a job, but it also has to do with being ready to share our faith. So, Ron, I have a question for you. When you look at 2017, what are people seeing in you that the Lord is working on in your life? Well, that's a tough question. I, I, you were kind enough to give me a few questions in advance to think about, and that one, to be honest, I've struggled with a little bit. I would hope that through the platform of you're always being interviewed and my work at the Prentice University and with Bitwise that, that I'm staying true to my word, that I'm not just wearing my faith on my sleeve, that I'm actually trying to put it to work as best I can, uh, as feebly as I might, but as best I can. And that would be what I hope would people, what I hope people would be seeing uh, from me at this time. Does it ever stress you out 
to, to, to know that, you know, even as far as, along as you are in your faith, that the Lord still has stuff to do? Oh, absolutely. And it makes it worse. And I, I, I wrote this book saying, you know, how to be intentionally extraordinary is the subtitle. And, and I put the ball on the tee, but I also have to remember that I can't screw up, right? It's, it's, uh, it's equally important for me to get it right, uh, but to realize that, yeah, I am also a work in progress. I'm certainly by no means perfected yet, someday soon, hopefully. But, uh, <laughs> but by not perfected at the moment, but my goal is that, that um, my walk and my talk can help influence others uh, as best as possible. We've got our guest today is Ron Brumbarger. He wrote this book, You're Always Being Interviewed. Ron, as you wrote this book, you you were referred to me by the award-winning Paige Murrell. She she did she's the story sketcher. And and what we love about Paige is that she's the only person on iWorkRam that's been able to stump me and and cause me to be silent more than once live on the air. How she had so much respect for you. I just when she said, "Hey, you know, you ought to talk to Ron." I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." So how how did you get connected to Paige? Absolutely glad to share that story. She is a uh, one of the sweetest yet most uh, intimidating young ladies you'll meet. Not because she does anything intentionally; she's just so doggone smart and sharp. I met Paige. Her her mother Angie actually works for Apprentice University and was doing a little project, and Paige created one of her sketch videos for us. And I absolutely fell in love with that. I had seen him before, but not really thought much about it. And light bulb went on and said, hey, there's a business opportunity here to use that gift that she has to tell complex stories in a captivating fashion using sketch stories and sketches. And so I got to meet Paige. And in just a couple of short weeks or a month or two, we had her business up and running, and she was a cash and checks. And she's a very busy young lady today with a lot of business on her plate as a result. Well, I love the connection that she made between you and I, and I love the fact that you know what you talked about in your book, You're Always Being Interviewed, what I loved was it is so true. Everything about our faith, everything about – I mean, I'm 50 – but I know that this the, the the principles that you're trying to teach young people in this book are so applicable for us people that are I'm fifty, I don't know how old you are, but it, it we need to be aware that people are watching us. They're they're watching the, the they look at the clothes we wear, they look at the words that we use, they look at the the attitude and actions on our face. People are watching us to see is our faith real? It is our are we really as good as we say we are? You know, when it comes to a job, I mean, they're always watching us, and people, there's eyes everywhere, which is which is why I made the you know the reference to the police song and also to George Orwell, you know, because Big Brother, <laughs> people can now watch. You know, when when the police wrote that song, they they were already living in a world they had no idea what was coming thirty years later. We're really literally right now. It's impossible to do just about anything without somebody catching it on video. So, Absolutely. all right, all right, let's let's get away from the Big Brother concept and talk about. Talk. Explain the concept behind a relational capital account. Well, let's just take the the relationship that, um, as a mentor to Paige, that I have with my student mentor, uh, Paige. Right. So, great working relationship. Our families are friends. Uh, you have respect for Paige because of her work, and she's been on your show previously. Uh, so, the relational capital that I have with Paige and the relational capital that you have with Paige made 
that handoff an obvious, made a transfer an obvious. In, in another setting, it would be a scenario where, let's say I've worked with a young man, uh, nurtured a young man along and helped him advance his career, and I wanted to uh, do a podcast. Well, you and I have a burgeoning relationship. I might call you up and say, hey, Jim, I'd like you to meet uh, this young man, Nathan, let's call him. And, of course, you're going to take the call. You're going to take the call straight away because we have a working relationship. We, between the two of us, have a relational capital balance that's pretty high. There's a lot of mutual respect there. Uh, so that relational capital balance is transferable between person A to the to the person in the middle that's being referred to somebody. That relationship, is that balance is transferable. And so when that person arrives at your doorstep, virtually or in person, uh, their relational capital balance reflects the balance that the sender has with you as well. So you and I have a high balance. If I refer a young man to you, they're going to arrive with a high balance by default. And we kind of know this already. You know, we know this in business and in networking and so forth. But I thought it was imperative to really spell out why relational capital matters because it's not being uh, taught nor codified well in today's academic environments, and it's really important to understand. That's how business gets done. It is. We're talking today with Ron Brumbarger, and he wrote this book, You're Always Being Interviewed. Ron, we just got done talking about this relational capital account, and it's true. Right now, because of our mutual connections, you immediately got an audience with me because I so totally trust Paige, and she would never take my time for something that wasn't worthwhile. But how did all of this cause you to say, hey, you know what? I really need to found this. I need to get Apprentice University going. What's Apprentice University all about? Well, we've experienced in the last many, many years, my other business, Bitwise Solutions, is always trying to hire new talent. We've been on the lookout for talent since we started. And increasingly, we find that graduates out of traditional colleges are just not prepared. They might have some book smarts about a particular discipline or degree, but they just don't have the, the capability to play in the big leagues. And I don't particularly have the time to invest a year or two into somebody and, and uh, have them ready. And I started asking around, and all my buddies had the exact same problem. This is kind of common sense now. And all my buddies had the same problem. And I said, well, gee, if I've got this problem, my buddies have this problem, I'm going to try to solve it. And so I started Apprentice University, which is my answer to how people ought to be trying to learn going forward in 2017 and in 2020 and 2030 is bringing back the old style methods of apprenticeships. Now we threw those away back in the fifties and said, everybody has to go from high school to Harvard and forget apprenticeships. We just kind of discarded it or relegated it to the skilled trades. Well, in the same way, we've also a better way. In the same way, we've also relegated any mentoring that went on. I mean, the apprenticeships are really just mentoring at, on steroids. and Or maybe a mentoring is apprenticeship on steroids. They're, they're both so intentional, the passing on of the information from one generation to the next generation, and we're missing it. We, we, don't, we don't take the time to do that anymore. And you're right. We keep telling everybody they need to go to college, where and that doesn't fit. I mean, I don't know what the well, percentage we, is, but it's certainly not 
100% people need to go to college. I mean, so many people. We yeah. need mechanics. We need plumbers. We need electricians. We need carpenters. We need skilled people. And there's some people that God gave talents for their hands and not for the books. But we, we, we'd sure. lost that mentality. Well, and we, we firmly believe that the high-demand, high-paying careers of today and tomorrow in technology and entrepreneurship and business around around careers such as digital storytelling, right? These are leading edge, way out there kinds of careers that the market has an insatiable appetite for at the moment. That's what we're preparing our students for, is to satisfy the needs of those types of employers. And at the same time, teach our students that it's highly likely several times in their career, they're going to be self-employed and they need to learn to land on their feet provide for themselves and or their family uh, as if nothing ever happened, just take that in stride. So that's what we're, that's what we're working on. You know, what I like is that you saw this need and you said, wow, we need to start training up the next generation on how to be intentional and preparing themselves for the workplace, preparing themselves for interviewing, preparing themselves for a future career. And, And then you also wrote a book. I mean, this is the first book that I've ever read that honestly, every college in the United States of America, every high school, actually, every high school before the kids graduate from high school, they should be reading this book. Because how many kids would do a whole lot less stupid stuff if they read that book and realized everybody's watching them? You know, and, well, and you, get... yeah, you, you read the book, obviously, and, and you know the countless stories that make you just slap your face. You just think, how would somebody do this? And... You know, I shake my head, and I finally had enough of those and thought, you know what, this can't continue on. Uh, these, these, these stories are just too tragic, and they need to be told. <laughs> okay, so, and, and, and it's a great it's a great read. It's a very easy read. I, I enjoy the book. I love the stories because the anecdotes made me giggle because I know that they really happen. I mean, it, it happens all the time. People say stupid stuff all the time. Their, their parents told them they could do no wrong. Their parents told them that, you know, that they, they could do anything they wanted to do. I mean, so they, they, they believed the lies. Not that, not that we're not all capable of doing something great, but, you know, not everybody's equipped to do every job. But I, I, I digress. I digress. I, I want to, how did, is all the stuff that you wrote in this book, is it from all of the people that you've interviewed at Bitwise Solutions? Is that, I mean, is that where you're like, I've seen yeah, all of this, I got to put it in yeah. the book? Well, I've had, I've started several businesses over the years, Apprentice being the most recent one, and I've served on lots of different boards of directors and so forth. So it's a culmination of, you know, many, many years of interviews and many years of experiences and so forth and of giving talks. But I, I will tell you, Jim, all the stories are true. Now, for the knuckleheads, I did change their names just just to protect the innocent. But, um, yeah, all the stories are true. What is the, what, let's just enlighten people a little bit. Give one of the most – I didn't tell you I was going to do this to you, but this is your book. You should have a raft top of your head. Sorry. Give one of the most ridiculous scenarios that you've seen somebody being a knucklehead when people are watching them. Oh, my goodness. Um well, there's Jared on page seven, if you remember him. I'll leave him out. Um, probably the two that come to my mind, the first one was Elliot. He's named Elliot in the book. The, the young man that showed up for an interview, shoes untied, basketball shorts, T-shirt, and his hair is dripping wet with sweat. 
and his resume's rolled up in a tube. And I thought he was a Jimmy John's driver at first, and it turns out he was there for an interview. So I asked him, you know, did something happen? Did your car break down? Is this a last-minute interview? And he said, no, it's been scheduled. I just thought I'd play ball with my buddies before the interview. And I said, well, you didn't shower. And to him, it was perfectly fine. And I said, well, you're not going to interview here. Go to the bookstore and buy a book on interviewing for dummies because we can't fix that. That's not our job at my business to teach people how to be professional. That's not what we do. We don't have time for that, right? Right. That's the first one. The second one that comes to my mind is probably uh, Stacy's mom. You remember the story about Stacy and Stacy's mom? Oh, uh, the hover mom? Stacey. You didn't call her hover mom. Did you call her Velcro mom or hover mom? Do I remember what you called her? Uh, I can't remember. Um, but Stacy's mom was the Stacy was a, a nice young lady, smart. Um, but I asked her, you know, the proverbial first question to every interview: "Tell me about yourself." And she looks at her mom and says, "Well," and her mom finishes. And the answers for her. And I thought, well, that's peculiar. And so I let her mom finish describing Stacy. And, and then I said, well, tell me what your interests are. And she didn't even get a well. She didn't get a so. She just looked at her mom. And her mom answered the question. So now I'm over two. And I don't like going over three. I was a baseball player. And I said, look, um, I can only interview one of you. I can only hire one of you. Which of you will it be? And I tried to get her mom to... This was at a coffee shop. I gave her my debit card or some cash or something, and I said, why don't you go grab some coffee, and we'll finish up. And her response is, no, I'm okay. Well, the young lady could not answer any questions during the interview. I can't hire her. What am I hiring? So those are two stories that really stick out. And there's dozens and dozens and dozens more, as you know, of stories of just things not to do. And but conversely, Jim, there are stories of people uh, like Paige, for example, who absolutely rock it. And I want to show the juxtaposition to somebody who's, ex- who's intentionally extraordinary versus somebody who didn't really try. And you know, I, I speak a lot about my book to different groups, and I ask people, you know, what's the opposite of extraordinary? Well, and the answer is obviously it's ordinary, right? And, and then I ask them, well, do you want to just be ordinary? Would you p- prefer the title of my book be How to Be Ordinary? And no one wants that. Well, as a believer, we're called to be extraordinary in all things at all times, naturally, as God would have us to be. Well, but I, got, um, I, got, not, I, counter, I want to counter something on you there, Ron, because is okay. the opposite of extraordinary really ordinary, or isn't it pathetic? <clears throat> because really— well, I'm, I mean, you're up. being nice. I mean, you're being nice, but if some the op, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, really, when you look at you know somebody that's extraordinary, you know th- that's way above average. Ordinary would be kind of right in the middle. Ordinary is like a C, and and extraordinary is like an A. What's the F? I mean, I think it's you know it's pathetic or it's it, or just it's not ordinary. I mean, ordinary is somebody that really doesn't stand out. But, I mean, that's really what this book is all about, understanding that there are talent spotters out there all over the place, and that people are always watching not only to see if, if who, you know, who we are out in the regular world, not just when we're getting interviewed, 
but also does our, I mean, it's two different ways. I, I loved your book because it made me think two different things at the same time. People are watching you to see if, hey, would I like to hire that person down the road? And number two, right. is the faith that they're displaying really real or is it just pretend? You know, I want to know, are they really the person they say they are? Absolutely. So talk Absolutely. To me, talk to me about these talent spotters. You say they're all over the place. I mean, are these good business people? I know the one thing my dad, this is something my dad told me right when I got into business 30 years ago. He said, he said, Jimmy, yes, he always calls me Jimmy. He goes, every time you go to a restaurant, every time you go to a store, always be looking to see the great people that are around you because someday you're going to meet somebody and you're going to want to hire them right out of the position. Some of my best salespeople I ever hired were people that served me at 7-Eleven and Burger King and McDonald's because I saw something in them that was extraordinary. Absolutely. Absolutely. Talent spotters are guys and gals who are either in the business of, as the Trump boy said, signing the front of the paycheck. So they're they're running a business or they're hiring people or they're in the business of making referrals just because they're good people and they like to do that. One or the other, uh, people are always looking for fresh talent. Now, after our relationship grows a little bit, if you came across somebody that you said, hey, you should talk to this guy, Ron, about Bitwise or Apprentice University or something like that, because of our relational capital, you're going to make that referral. But you are thus a talent spotter by surrogate for me and vice versa. We're always doing that. Again, that's how business gets done. And it seems so obvious, Jim. We grew up thinking about this. You know, I was always taught this. I'm, I'm a couple of years older than you. I'm 52. Our parents taught us these values, right? But they're just not being seeded into the minds of young people these days at the level that we need them to be. We have such so, low expectations. That's why. We have low expectations well, for this next generation. We don't, we don't expect anything I, out of them. Well, I've been talking a lot about this. I'm at a conference this week in D.C., and a group of us are sitting around a table, and I had a little opportunity to share something about my book. And I said, you know, one of the, one of the challenges, if I were 20 years old, I have two boys, 19 and 21, Hudson and Tanner, respectively. And I know they, along with Paige and many others and that we would consider millennials, are, fi- are frankly sick and tired of being lumped into this category of, of lazy, self-centered, deserving kind of mentality. And so I talked about that there are many out there that are not. And it's not fair to just group every young person, and we know this, right? We know this, to not group everybody into that same organization or into that same mindset. And my point was that my book is oftentimes referred to as how not to be considered a millennial, right? And that probably should have been the subtitle because, you know, millennials have a negative stereotype, right? They're entitled and lazy and short, short uh, attention span and, and all about me kind of thing. And that's not true across the board. We know that to be the case. Yeah, it's never but this book really time. is how not to be a millennial, if you think about it. Right. Well, and it, you know, I don't. Actually, I think the book should be "Don't be stupid all the time," or or people, <laughs> you know, what, whatever. Maybe I, I think everybody's watching you. It's kind of a thing. I I don't. I love the book because you're always being interviewed, not only about your faith, but also for future jobs. And so there's my question I was going to go off track on with you a little bit. Okay. So you run this business called Bitwise Solutions. What exactly is Bitwise Solutions? Bitwise is a 25 year old firm. We've been around quite a while. And for the last 23 years, well before 
Al Gore invented the internet. We've now, been now, 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 now. Sorry we, to be political, but that's yeah. all right. anyway. So we've been building and planning and designing websites for the last 23 years. Uh, we've been doing it for clients around the world, and we build the corporate-grade websites that really have to work and they have to get the job done, and they've got a lot of heavy lifting behind them. There's always some login that you're using on that site to conduct business in some fashion. So we've been doing that for a very long time, thousands and thousands of engagements uh, for businesses around the globe. So, you know, when you're looking to hire somebody new, and I'm sure you use contractors as well as permanent employees, but as you're looking to hire somebody new or bring somebody onto the team, whether they're a contractor or they're part of your local team there, uh, how often are you that talent spotter? I mean, how often do people actually have to, do you put an ad out there on, uh, uh, not Craigslist, but, you know, wherever you may, where do you, when you advertise for a job, where do you, where do you advertise for a job? Frequently, it's on LinkedIn or Facebook okay. in hopes of just finding somebody. You know, really, my hope is never to find the person. My hope is to find the person that knows the person because they're going to bring the relational capital, that whole concept again. They're going to bring that referral forward. So they're okay, already so vetted the applicant straight, straight out of the gate. Right, because they're either on your LinkedIn or they're on your Facebook page, so you already trust them to a certain extent. Uh, but how often do people actually go through that formal interview process, you know, send in a resume, you know, come in, or how many of them get referred to you? I mean, how often do your talent spotters bring you talent so you don't have to go through that awkward put a job out, <laughs> ad out there and get a 1,000 resumes? I would tell you, Jim, it's much more common to hire from a referral. I would say three-fourths of the, re of the people we hire in both of my companies came from a referral, somebody we know. Uh, and that's Just driving home the importance of relational capital. And that's really what I figured. But, you know, you're the guy in the tech world. And, and tech people, you know, they always – people always say, well, they're just – you know, this guy's a tech guy. He'll be a perfect fit. But there are so many – you know, permutations of tech people, and sometimes you need them to be communi good communicators. Sometimes you do not need them to be good communicators. Sometimes you need people that are night owls, and sometimes you need people that are day people. So I, yep. I, I've played around in that world enough. All right, so going in, going into your book, then you know, the premise of your book is that no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, people are watching you. They're studying you to see if you're worthy of referring or hiring. Why is this concept? probably the most concept, and I'm going to add to that, they're always, they're, if you're calling yourself a Christ follower, they're also watching to see, does your faith match your actions? Why is this concept possibly one of the most important concepts for us to understand in our lives? Well, what would God have us do? Be mediocre? You know, I use the, I use the metaphor oh, in oh, the book Oh, there about, you go. That's, that's the word. Not extraordinary. That the mediocre. Of, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Um, I, I use the metaphor, I, I like sports, in case you couldn't tell after reading the book. I, I use baseball, football, and basketball metaphors in the book because that was me. Um, but I use the metaphor about sprinting by first. You know, in baseball, the runner hits the ball, and they don't run down to first base and then have to stop, right? They don't go from full sprint to zero without their foot leaving the bag. If they go by first base, they can turn right and come back to the base, and they're out, you know, they're, it's a dead ball game. Now, I have to teach the rules because baseball is not nearly as common as it used to be. I have to teach the rules to tell the story. 
but God would have a sprint by first, not lackadaisically walk down there kind of sloppily uh, to get the first base. We would be out, right, because the ball would have beat us to first base. We would have been thrown out as the runner. So God wants us to sprint by first. Here's another great example. Do you remember the movie Facing the Giants? Absolutely. And my students, my students at Apprentice University have tired of me using this example. You remember when Brock was saying that he was doubtful they were going to win the game that Friday night, and the coach brought brought Brock to the goal line and then put Jeremy on his back. On his back, to, yes. I want you to bear crawl to the 20, right? And, and put, a blindfold, put a blindfold on Put a blindfold on Put a blindfold on him. That's, that's and, right. and, and the coach thinks Jeremy weighs about a buck 40. Uh, turns out Jeremy weighs a buck 60, and he gained some weight since coach was last aware. Brock crawls the entire length of the field, 100 yards. Now, I cannot watch that clip without tearing up because it's so touching. I would agree. That's what God wants us to do. Leave it all on the field. Give everything we've got all the time, right? None of this halfway business. That's not appropriate. So the idea is how to be extraordinary. Not, not that any of us are in everything we do, right? But we've got to be aware that people are watching us to see is this person really trying, or, or are they just kind of halfway? And it's the little things. It's the little things. You read about in the book, you read about the stories of the guy that treated the, the waitress very poorly at a restaurant, a dinner meeting I was at one night, and I couldn't, I couldn't fathom working with this guy after that behavior. Uh, it's the little things that stand out, and that matters a lot. It matters a lot. We're talking today with Ron Brumbarger. He's written this book, You're Always Being Interviewed. He founded Bitwise Solutions and Apprentice University. You can find out more about this book online at alwaysbeinginterviewed.com, alwaysbeinginterviewed.com. We've got another copy of the book to give away. We've gotten one. Uh, caller, Tom from Lake Alfred, thanks for listening, and thanks for calling in for the book. If you would like Thank to get you, a copy of this book, if you'd like to get a copy of this book, call into the studio line now, 877-943-9673. All right, in this in this book, you deal with so many seven different categories of things that people absolutely need to worry about. Uh, character is one of them. Networking is another one. Communication is another one. But I want to hit, because we're running out of time, I want to hit a couple of really major points from a couple other categories. Etiquette. Holy mackerel. That is something our society has lost. Why is. is etiquette? Why is etiquette so important today? Why do we need to teach our kids etiquette? Well, the ramifications of not we're seeing unfold before our eyes, I'm sad to say. You know, I wrote this chapter, and if you recall at the start of the chapter, it says you're going to hate reading it, and I hate, I hated writing it, because it's just preachy. And, you know, being preachy is just not acceptable anymore. But these are things that aren't being taught. You can't pick your bowl up and put it under your face and eat your salad. That doesn't work in a business meeting. That isn't, it's not acceptable. Um, but I, I, put a, I put a section in etiquette that I, I struggled with quite a bit. I actually had a whole other chapter around quitting. And I thought, nah, this is better just as a segment in etiquette. And I talk about how important it is to leave your job. It's important that you leave your job better off and, and in a better state than when you arrived. And um, I've had, you know, how many hundreds of employees over the years and the best employees are the ones that leave their job with elegance and grace. The people that give you 
here's your two weeks notice, the stone cold note that you get. And next Friday, they're out the door, and you have no time to scramble to hire a replacement or reorganize or any of the above. That is not appropriate. And uh, a lot of people have asked me, well, surely you wouldn't expect somebody to tell you weeks and weeks and weeks in advance that they're looking for another job. But surely I would expect that. Well, if you've well, earned that if, trust, if you've earned that if trust. If you've but, earned that trust. But, 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 here's but, the, but Ron, here's I, the I, thing. But, Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, though. But you, you're talking about something that was standard practice 20 years ago. Today, people text, yeah, I'm done. They, they don't even they don't get two weeks' notice. Yeah, they, they may just not show up. And, and, and I've had employees not show up, and I've looked in the obituaries, and I've, and I've, and I've tried to figure out what, what happened to this person. Then you find them, and they said, yeah, well, I was done. Well, so, I mean, you're saying text. two weeks isn't really good enough. In today's world, people text that they're quitting or just disappear. Why? Yeah. Just explain well, why you think. Explain why you think. Be, yeah, there has to be mutual respect. I tell every one of my employees, I will never walk into your office and surprise you that you're fired. Unless you just did something stupid. <clears throat> I'll never just walk in and say you're done. If you're going to be terminated, you're going to know about it way in advance and have had countless opportunities to cure it. Um, but I'm never going to walk in and surprise somebody. So hopefully there's there's a, a platform of trust there. Uh, but to to an employee, leaving your job is as important as how you got it. It's as important as the first day. It's as important as the first interview. It's as important as the middle day that you were employed there. You've got to leave it the right way because you read about Charlotte in my book, right? Yes, Remember I Charlotte did. Took, yep. took my buddy for a bunch of money? Um you know, Charlotte can't be employed. She should never be reemployed after her behavior. Uh, certainly in those areas where she was found to be a criminal in her behavior. Um, so you have to leave your job on good terms. And why would you want any other way? Why would you want to leave your job and, and thumb your nose at your previous employer? Why would you want that? You know, I, I honestly, I did it once 30 years ago, left a job with a ball of flame and I have wanted for years to go back and apologize to that guy that I quit to. I, I, I wish, I wish I could. I, I've been trying to find him for 30 years because I, I did yeah. that mistake. Yeah. And after I did it, I'm like, that was just dumb, just dumb. But I was immature and, and nobody was coaching me. I think that's part of the biggest part here is that this book is like a coach sitting alongside you, helping you understand this is how the real world works. There's no trophy for everybody here. You know, th this is, no. you need to stand out. And Ron, as you wrote this book, you're always being interviewed. I mean, this is an incredible resource. Uh, but the etiquette thing, watching how people eat, watching people how they dress, whether they show up early for an interview, you know, all of those things build into that. When we come back, I really want to dig into the interviewing process and our few minutes left, how people can get prepared for the interview, what the resume should look like, because those things are... Uh, you know, you've got some opinions about things that people will go, I've never heard that before. So sure. you know, you're setting you're setting that standard. <laughs> We're talking today with Ron Brumbarger about his book, You're Always Being Interviewed. Ron, I want to talk about the interview because and, and resumes because there are some major mistakes that I have seen as I've interviewed people. But let's talk about the resumes first. You said something in that chapter that goes against conventional you know, not the, whoever conventional people are, goes against conventional wisdom. Why should a resume not just be one page? 
hiring your resume. I'm hiring you. I'm hiring an individual. And if it takes you two, maybe three, I wouldn't go more than three. But if it takes a couple pages to tell your story, why in the world would we confine it to an eight-and-a-half-inch piece of former tree? That's ridiculous. What if we didn't have paper? What if your resume was just online? If it takes two or three pages to tell your story of who you are, to get me excited enough to make you an offer, use paper. Paper's cheap. Don't well, limit is, it to one page. Is paper as key as you could have the intro and say, hey, continued out on LinkedIn, or do you want it all on the paper and the resume? Well, resumes are going to be with us for a long time to come. Good, bad, or indifferent. I don't really care for them anymore. I don't really use them anymore, but they're there. you got to deal with it. Uh, but it's it's not so much the length of the material is is it as it as as it is have you told your story can you tell your story of who you are and why you meet the needs that I that I'm seeking to fill in my company that's all that matters it's days from now we're going to have all digital resumes they're very common anyway and if you think about what we're doing at Apprentice University with the whole idea of badging our badging represents a deep, rich resume that you can't possibly put on one piece of paper, one-page piece of paper. So I'm all about a resume that tells the story. If it's two or three pages, great. If it's just one page and you can't tell your story, use more. Mm, I love no one that. says it has to be one. Whoever, whoever said the one-page rule for resume is just is just naked poops. They don't know what we're gonna have to we have to figure out who they are so we can I don't know write an article about them. Okay, but so so let's good. just say they get they they send you a resume. It describes them, and you want to interview them. Let's give some people. Everybody listening today has been interviewed, and they may be interviewed again in the future. What are some absolute keys about being interviewed to make sure that you don't that you look extraordinary? obviously you want to dress the part, right? You want to go in and even though their their business environment might be business casual, you want to go one step above that. You know, throw on a, throw on a tie. It won't kill you. Uh, don't throw on a tie like the young man in the books that was about 50 pounds overweight for the suit that he was wearing. But throw on a tie, dress, dress the part, know the interviewer, know what makes them tick, know who they are, uh, what their interests are, and have a rapport with them. I recently interviewed a young lady at Bitwise who walked in and said, I loved your book. And the interview had been scheduled for a couple of weeks. And she said, when I figured out that I was interviewing with you, I looked you up. I saw you wrote a book. I bought your book. I started reading it the next day. And I loved your book. So we immediately had something in common, right? So we spent the first 10 or 15 minutes of our hour or so together talking about my book, something I'm passionate about. And so we had a rapport. It sure beats a, a cold start. So know who you're interviewing with. Know what makes them tick. Know what their interests are, what book they last read, if they've written some articles recently, if they've had blog posts recently. Do your homework before you get to the interview table. Right. Now, if you're interviewing and, and – we're out, we're out of time. We're out of time. We're out of time. So I want, I want right. you to plug Apprentice University. How can people find out about Apprentice University? Well, we're exploding at the seams, by the way, at Apprentice University. You can see more at Apprentice.University is our website, Apprentice.University, H-T-T-P, Apprentice.University. 
Uh, we have uh, our present intake of the new cohort of students starts next month, and it is a, it is a rocket sled uh, opportunity there at the moment with just so many great things going on at Apprentice University. Ron Brumbarger, thank you so much for being on I Work For Him today. Thanks for your thank great you, book. Jim. You're always being interviewed. It was great. We'll have to do this again in the future. Love to. Thank you. I, I just you got to go out there. You're always being interviewed.com. Get a copy of this book. You're always being interviewed. Always being interviewed.com. You're listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field. But ultimately, I work for him.